The Athletic. Manchester United have lost again. Truth be told, they look a little lost off the pitch too. Fans blame Skinner, structure and strategy in varying measures. However, those things may be about to change with the impending arrival and ratification of Ineos's takeover at Manchester United. A month on from the news of the change at the top, one aspect has been largely absent in all of the reporting. What about the women's team? What does this mean for them? Well, we're starting to get some answers. I'm Abby Patterson, and from The Athletic, this is Full Time Europe. Joining me today, it's our women's football writer and all-round legend, Charlotte Harper. Hi, Charlotte. Can't believe you just called me an all-round legend, but I'll take it. Hello, Abby. You are an all-round legend. It's just the facts. It's the truth. And I believe making her full-time Europe debut, am I correct, Laura Williamson? Deputy Editor Laura Williamson? Sorry, correct, Abby Patterson, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. We are honoured to be in your presence. Now, I just I need to address the uh, elephant in the room. Um, I am in a different location. I'm actually in, in Melbourne. I'm sat outside. So just in case you hear any trams going past or seagulls squawking or uh, various oh, right. cheers. We get the that, picture. We get that, the picture. You're in Australia. <laughs> Just, I just, you know, thought, you know, needed to just be clarified why they're, you know, I'm not in studio quality like the both of you. Uh, we'll move on quickly. We'll move on quickly. Um, we are going to talk about the ramifications of Sir Jim Ratcliffe's takeover at Manchester United momentarily. But you know what? We're a football podcast. Let's have a little chat about some football because Charlotte, you were at Stamford Bridge uh, on Sunday for Chelsea's 3-1 win over Manchester United. And uh, in your piece, uh, you wrote of United's performance as being uh, one-dimensional passive and toothless now tell me what what do you really think Charlotte exactly what I wrote Abby <laughs> yeah the first half I mean Chelsea were very very good almost at times unplayable in the first half and, and they came out and completely dominated Manchester United um, but I was expecting United to to at least apply some pressure but they gave them so much time and Chelsea were braver on the ball they looked more comfortable and it was disappointing from a United perspective in the first half. In the second half, they were more aggressive. Um, they were more, more combative in, in their one-on-one -on -one duels. Um, but it was a reflection of where the two teams are at. And obviously there's been a lot of talk about the fact that uh, a team has never won the WSL with, when they've lost more than two games. So United, that's their third defeat. Are you, are you saying that's quite likely to be the nail in the coffin on, on their title ambitions? Yeah, it's all but um, the nail in the coffin. I mean, they're 10 points off leaders, Chelsea, um, and I don't see them making up that gap. Uh, the big focus now will be on qualification for Champions League. So they have to make the top three, but they're still seven points off third place as well. Um, of course, there's two cup competitions left in the running, but for United, that Champions League spot has to be the main focus. Yeah, and you can get more on what happened in that match and across the weekend in the WSL. Of course, the best place for all that is the Athletic. And I urge you to go to Jesse Parker Humphrey's weekend wrap. It's also called Full Time. Anyone would think this was planned. Theathletic.com forward slash WSL pod is the place to go if you're not yet a subscriber. But what we are looking at today is Manchester United. The club as a whole and just kind of work out exactly 
What needs fixing? What changes are on the way? And how fans should be feeling about the news of Ineos's investment? And, and that's really where we're going to begin because we need to understand what exactly that is and what awaits this new United. So, Laura, can you please bring us up to speed on what exactly the last 14 months have entailed since the Glazers put up the for sale signs? Oh, I'll try my best to be as succinct as possible. So November 2022, during the Men's World Cup in Qatar, there was an extraordinary day when Cristiano Ronaldo announced he was parting ways with Manchester United. And then a couple of hours later, the Glazer family have been in situ at United since 2005, you know, not very well liked, to put it mildly, announced that they were establishing a strategic review of the club, which was basically a byword for we're open for investment or a full takeover. Then two credible bidders emerged. The first was a, a bid led by Sheikh Jassim, who's a member of the Qatari royal family, the former prime minister's son, um, through his um, 9-2 foundation. And then Sir Jim Ratcliffe's Ineos. He's, well, according to who you read, he's either worth thirty billion pounds or twenty-two billion dollars. Either way, a lot of money. One of Britain's richest men, and his petrochemicals firm Ineos put in a minority bid. Fast forward with various wrangles, lots of bidding processes, and eventually, Sheikh Jassim's hundred percent bid pulled out, which left Ratcliffe and Ineos as the only remaining bidders, and. Just before Christmas, Christmas Eve, in fact, it was announced that he was going to buy a 25% stake in Manchester United in exchange for, quite remarkably, the sporting control of the football club, which is, when you think about it, quite a remarkable deal to put in as little as 25% for sporting control of you know, what is the world's biggest football club. And that deal has yet to be ratified by um, the Premier League and the Football Association, but we don't expect any hitches there. You know, Ratcliffe and Ineos already have a, a football portfolio in Nice and Lausanne and a, a club in the Ivory Coast. So that's all expected to go through in the next couple of weeks. And he's already got his feet under the table, I must say, without making any actual decisions, but he's, because he's not allowed to yet, but he's been... Well, he firstly done what the Glazers have not done for the best part of 20 years, which is be physically present and talk to people. And, you know, he's pictured beating, meeting both the men's and the women's teams at Carrington, um, the training ground already. He's spoken to the media. He's been at men's matches. He's met Mark, Mark Skinner and he's met Eric Ten Hag, the men's manager. And um, it's all systems go on a new era. It's the little things, isn't it? Just turning up and, and physically being there. And also this uh, this sort of 25% stake for full control slightly reminds me of that Anchorman quote, you know, 60% of the time it works every time. It just is, is things that shouldn't make any sense. Uh, Charlotte, this sounds positive, you know, on the surface. We've got a person going to be in control of the sporting side of things who, uh, you know, is, is there, is interested, wants there to be a successful Manchester United. Uh, if, we, if we take the perspective from the, the women's team, how should fans of the, of the women's team be, be seeing this takeover, uh, in your opinion? It all sounds really positive, doesn't it? But I think the proof will be in the pudding. It's all very well saying, you know, um, 
we are as committed to the men's team as the women's team, which is, I understand, Ineos's uh, approach. Uh, and they will conduct reviews of the men's and the women's teams. Um, but that takes time. It's very early days. And there are competing priorities. The big priority for Ineos is to stabilise the men's team. And from an internal club perspective, they see their women's team, which is only five years old and have established themselves as a top four team. And from a distance, you might think, oh, you know, that's all right. So where does the women's team lie in the club's priorities is the big question. Yeah, because I think that's, you know, fans of the women's team have seen themselves as not being a priority and they would obviously like that to change. I mean, you know, up until this year, the you wrote, Charlotte, that the, the women's team were, you know, getting ready in, what, porter cabins? And it's just not been, I mean, obviously, as you say, the, the team didn't even exist a decade ago. So will fans be at least pleased to see them being higher up the, the pecking order within the club? If that's the intent, Yes. I mean, the, the women's team have moved into that multi-million pound facility as of this season in Carrington. So there has been improvement in structure there. But the key thing, and again, this is what Sir Dave Brailsford is going to do regarding conducting elite performance reviews of the men's and women's teams is, you know, who is making the decisions? How does the building work? Who is reporting to who as strategy, a long-term strategy for our women's teams, a budget? What are we working with? Can we work two, three transfer windows in advance and be more proactive rather than leaving deals and late and players running out their contracts and losing the highest quality? Um, and it's... It, it, it all sounds very obvious if you were coming to a business. Well, surely you'd have a strategy. Surely, you, <laughs> surely you'd know who is, you know, at the head making these decisions, and you have key access to them. And it's a quick process. But no. And Ineos's big, you know, sort of motto takeaway is best in class. We need to have the best people in the best positions. And. Sir Dave Brailsford, who's their sporting director, you know, he comes from a, a cycling background. That's why he's a sir. He took British cycling to achieve, you know, un, unheard of heights um, on both the men's and women's side, in fairness. And he will go in and look at every position. And it, it, this review is designed to, I know it sounds a bit blue sky thinking, but designed to ensure that there are people that are best in class, to use that phrase again, in every position. And at United, that means John Murta's position is absolutely under scrutiny. So he's the football director and he's responsible for the men's and the women's teams. And from previous performances and, you know, his record, is is he the best in class at the moment? No, that's absolutely open to, for debate. And that will be something that will be looked at. Um, we've already brought in a new CEO, Omar Barada from Manchester City, who to work across again, the men's and the women's sides. And we'll talk about, I think, a bit more about that in a bit. But on the sporting side, that you know, every person in that hierarchy will be will be analysed to see if they're doing what they need to do to get the men's and the women's sides to where they want to be. Laura, you mentioned that tagline of best in class. I think a lot of United fans listening to that then might be turning their mind to Mark Skinner at that point and questioning whether he fits 
that bill. Charlotte, in your opinion, does Mark Skinner right now fit that kind of best in class? No, he's not the best manager in the women's game and he's under pressure. We had the chance in the 95th minute at Stamford Bridge, Skinner out. That was accompanied by a a single white placard with red writing of Skinner out. It was from a minority of fans. And the question, the, the key is, that, you know, Chelsea are finding this as well, is that the talent pool for managers is very shallow. Some fans believe he's predictable in his tactics. He's predictable in his starting 11. One agent, Michael Kulbach, said on Twitter in response to uh, Martha Thomas and Wilderboer Risa, two former United players who are now achieving success at their relative clubs, that this is what happens in a non-toxic environment, alluding to a toxic environment at United. Skinner replied to that saying, that's absolutely not the case. And they support the players and they do a good job of that. He's in there every single day. So there are concerns that if you're in the starting 11, you're fine. And Skinner will pick you. But if you're not, then it's very, very difficult to penetrate into that squad. And sometimes communication is unclear. Others believe it's not Skinner's fault. And this goes above Skinner, especially in terms of keeping players such as Alessio Russo on Abadier. And it could be the same case for Mary Earps, that this actually goes above um, him and the head of women's football, Polly Bancroft. And as Laura alluded to, um, John Murta, you know, he is in charge of the men's and women's football. So I do think there is a strategic and communication uh, gap uh, at the club, which is affecting the women's team. So I, I don't think you can just wish away Mark Skinner's problems with, oh, Ineos are coming in and they're going to chuck loads of money and it'll all be better. No, there are issues with the women's team and Skinner, if you look at their last results. But also, you have to bear in mind that last year was an outlier. You know, pushing Chelsea to the title, coming second, no one really expected that. And now they're being measured in comparison to last year. And considering that Chelsea played, what, their first WSL game in 2011? I think I'm right, 2012. And for United, it was 2019. So difference in time, difference in investment. But that doesn't excuse if players, especially former players who have spoken about they're enjoying their football now. Well, what does that say about their time at Manchester United? It's also a question of optics for Ineos and Ratcliffe, right? That, I mean, you know, the women's team, you know, in terms of revenue, it's a hundredth of what the men bring in, you know, that in terms of making money, which they've said they're not bothered about, but everyone's bothered about making money. It's it's not the priority, but they have this incredible vehicle to use in a, in a positive way. And so then the front face of that is the manager and the way he communicates and how he comes across. That's how their brand, Manchester United Women's Club, is, is you know, getting out to the public. So that becomes a really, really crucial role for, for Ineos because Skinner or whoever's in charge is their is their spokesman. So when, you know, he's getting chippy in press conferences or there was that remarkable story that Dan Sheldon broke on The Athletic about fans that travelled to Malta for the pre-season game being sort of warned not to, sh- not to shout anti-Skinner chants because it was understood to be upsetting the players and staff. You know, that 
that all builds that all builds and I, and I don't think I don't think it helps him particularly going forward you also have to ask the question why has Manchester United not renewed Mark Skinner's contract you know he's, his contract is expiring this summer if you want to attract players then you want security to say this is our manager this is our game strategy this is our vision and have clarity over that now, I don't want to put words in Mark Skinner's mouth, but it would be likely that he'd want to renew his contract. So is that again in terms of the the club not prioritising the women's team and leaving these contracts until late like their players? Or is there more at play? Yeah, so much of this just seems to run through all of the, the club, manager, players, scouts, just the, the structural issues here are incredible to use that word in its actual meaning. That could all, of course, be about to change uh, quite significantly because uh, the big story broken this week by David Ornstein was that uh, Omar Barada is coming in to as CEO. He's moving from Manchester City over to the red side of the city. Uh, Laura, can you just quickly explain just how big a coup is this for Manchester United, the football club? It's a, it's a huge coup. Barada is very, very highly regarded, but it's it's also a coup because, as Charlotte's alluded to, United have garnered a reputation for taking an age over making big decisions like this, which goes back to their lack of lack of structure. But this deal has been done very quickly, very ruthlessly. Um, you know, when David Ornstein broke the news on Saturday night, uh, it, it took everybody by surprise. Now, this is a very this, the way it's been done has been incredibly professional and quick. You know, he he. He'll have some gardening leave at Manchester City, but you know by the start of next season he should be in, should be in situ, and he's very very highly regarded uh, amongst amongst peers and um, and colleagues and also competitors in the game across the men's and women's side. Um, he's got a commercial background, um, started at Barcelona, but he's moved over onto the player and the football side at City, and you know has been very involved in deals as big as bringing Erling Haaland um, to the Etihad for example so it's a coup and it's, it's it's going to be a step up for him though he's he's worked very very well but within a very rigid management structure at Manchester City and he's coming to Manchester United to be the chief executive and you know run both the men's and women's sides and keep an eye on commercial things as well and be involved with the football side I expect they'll bring in a sporting director or a football director as well so this is a big step up but it's also seems to be a very very highly regarded appointment from lots of corners of football yeah and you can uh, find out a bit more about Barada over on The Athletic or by listening to The Athletic Football Podcast uh, Charlotte Barada has got good precedent within the within the women's game he was very important for for Manchester City just explain uh, his his role within City and and for women's football yes yeah, so Barada sits on the women's super league and women's championship working group board so he's he's a voice there uh, he's present there and he understands the ecosystem of women's football uh, he was also instrumental in ensuring city's women's team received the the highest levels of facilities so if I were a Manchester United women's supporter then that move definitely bodes well and, and just one thing to add on on him as well it, place to this best in class idea yes it does absolutely but it also is I think gives us a bit of an indication of how ruthless Ineos can be you know ruthlessness and sort of grit is a word that sort of comes up a lot a lot with them you know this is a man that was at Manchester City 
towards the end of the period that the Premier League's 115 um, charges relate to. And while there's absolutely no suggestion he's implicated in that in any way, you know, it's something that people are talking about. And the view at United clearly is that he's good at what he does. Let's go and get him. And that feels like a very, um, very Ineos approach of, as Brailsford's put it, I think in the past, you know, pushing right up to the line. You don't go over it, but you push right up to it to make sure that you're the best you can possibly be. Um, so I think it feels like a bit of a new era for, for certain at, uh, at Old Trafford. Mm, and to use another David Brailsford phrase, marginal gains uh, <laughs> seems to be. Uh, helpful there. One thing that came up when I spoke to Manchester United fans, one thing that they're really, really keen on is the culture of the club. It is not an understatement to say that uh, a lot of stories regarding Manchester United that have been in the news lines have been uh, unsavoury to you know, put it mildly. Uh, I, I am talking about the allegations regarding Mason Greenwood against Anthony. Fans, particularly uh, female fans, have found it hugely difficult to be a supporter of of the club right now. Has there been any suggestion, Laura, from Ineos that culture is something that they are looking to address? Very much so. I think it all comes under this huge review that is being and will be undertaken. And the club's responses to actually moments of trauma, I would categorise it as strongly as that, you know, in terms of allegations against key players, whether that's on the men's or the women's side, absolutely is part of that and needs to be addressed. And you know, there, need, there needs to be a process to follow. Mason Greenwood was a, a United product. He'd been there since he was six. So that absolutely goes back to sort of root and branch review of the culture of the football club. And then also how involved the women's side are with the men's team you know they're they're both they both feed into John Murta they're both under the same sort of commercial umbrella if you like but you know how how are those two sides interacting how can we avoid a situation like we got with Greenwood where United players are away with England at the other end of the world at the World Cup in Australia and hearing things secondhand through the media all of that I think goes into it goes into this review you know how many times do the women play at Old Trafford all of that I think is a really important part of it I think the women's team has huge potential and the club recognised that that for actually a more investment which is not that huge considering what they have to do with the men's team. It could be a, a real potential upturn. So input versus output, there are there there aren't marginal gains for the women's team. There are huge gains. And of course, it's about priorities uh, and whether they really see their women's team as ambitious. If they do, then United can kick on and make huge strides. And we've seen how ruthless Ineos can be. I think I think I'd be very excited if I was a supporter of the women's team at United. I think Ineos' track record, um, they don't necessarily do things just purely for commercial gain. You know, you don't you don't invest the millions that they did um, in, you know, propelling a man to run a marathon in under two hours um, just for the just for the profit. Um, you know, they they clearly enjoy a challenge and I think they will and I hope they, they will recognise the um, absolute opportunity in the women's team and and not only get those structures in place to, ena to enable the commercial operation to grow um, but realise that you know this this really really could be could be great if they can just get those those um, mechanisms um, 
in place to allow it to happen. Well, we're going to put a pin in that Manchester United story, keep it with the Athletic as that all develops. But there is one more thing I want to look at today and it concerns packing out a packed schedule even more. And it's going to affect the whole world. That's next. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Full Time Europe from The Athletic. Abby Patterson, Charlotte Harper, Laura Williamson with you here talking all about the women's game. And we're talking about how the women's game is going to change globally. Laura, it looks like a Club World Cup is finally on its way. Matt Slater had this story. So are we going to be going to see Barcelona versus Gotham City in what, 2026? <laughs> well, I hope so. How exciting. This is a really great story from, from Matt that the, the prospect of a, of a Club World Cup for, for women is, is growing ever closer. Ideally, lots of confederations apart from UEFA, European football's governing body, would like it um, every year. UEFA, quite understandably and rightly, in my opinion, are looking at this calendar and going, where on earth are you going to put this every every year? So a compromise feels like more every two years. And starting in 2026, um, in all likelihood, again, owing to the pack calendar and, and what's already there. Would it be a 48-team Club World Cup? No, that sounds ridiculous. 32, again, that sounds too many. So it might be something like a 16-team league. It's seven in the men's game at the moment and, and moving up. And um, But 16 feels like a compromise. Um, why now? I mean, cynically, it, this seems to me a, a, a FIFA and, you know, governing bodies approach to the threat of a Super League, effectively, of, of the threat of um, teams recognising the commercial potential of a competition like this and, and doing it themselves. So, very clever. Let's ward it off and, and, and we'll do it and we'll sell the rights, thank you. Um, because, you know, clearly the idea of the best club teams across the world competing fairly regularly every two years in a in a in a you know a condensed competition that would be televised and and all the rest of it is really really exciting and very commercially viable so again with the uh, the 2026 men's world cup in uh, the US Canada and Mexico in 2026 and then a potential uh, women's world cup the there the year after you'd think that uh, Europe might be a might be a good destination for a 2026 women's club world cup yeah, we know what's happening in the Men's World Cup in 2034, but let's not talk about 2027 in the women's game. No, we'll save that for another podcast. Um, why have we not had a Women's Club World Cup until now? Anyone know? Um, is it just simply there hasn't been the pressure from the imaginary Super League coming over? They just haven't felt a need to? I think it is. We had 
conversations regarding, you know, a European Super League and what that would look like for the women's game. And finally, people are waking up to see actually this product is has global appeal and people want to see Jeopardy. They, have, they want a reason to connect with their fans and they want quality. And if you've got the best teams uh, from the best nations going at each other, then that would be a, an appealing prospect for a fan. Um, I think also the women's game is modelled more on star players rather than a real connection with a team. And so if you have those star players littered through a club competition, again, that's very commercially very attractive. And it's... We, we've spoken about Manchester United with, with the decisions, but, you know, these are... These are big beasts of governing bodies and those decisions take time. And it just seems that the women's game has to jump through these loopholes. And it, even, for example, the Champions League model, that should have been changed perhaps years uh, in advance. The, the problem is with the women's game is that you've got some aspects going a hurtling speed and other aspects not. And so if you have a competition, you need to have the quality there. So in this day and age, you would think that there would be depth for quality teams to play each other. Otherwise, it's just going to be, you know, 10 nil thrashings. We have seen it in Spain's La Ligas regarding the one-sided Results. So for this Club World Cup, it has to be competitive. And so I think this is now why the timing is right to kick on. The other thing to say is that the Club World Cup is a FIFA president Gianni Infantino's baby, like the concept of it. He, he loves it. It's another competition that, you know, you can get a shed load of sponsors for and a big juicy TV deal. He absolutely loves it. So that's why he's expanding the men's version. And then, you know, the, clearly the, the plans for the women's uh, the women's equivalent fit into that but it makes it makes a lot of sense if and it's a big if they can manage to sort out the qualification so it is done on meritocracy and it's not just oh blast we need these star names in there and then the, the really big issue is where on earth you fit it in in such a congested calendar for you know at the elite level it's i mean it's ridiculous which is what I want to get onto because obviously this was, you know, obviously as has happened it's in the week that Leah Williamson's been speaking about this, this packed schedule. Charlotte, where, where on earth do they fit this in? I don't know. You know, I spoke to someone recently and they just said the, the match scheduling is a shambles. Uh, Leah made a very good point. Why don't you start with this is the minimum number of weeks required for a player to have time off? You know, players had five days some of them from the World Cup final to then Champions League qualifications. And it's just not sustainable, as Leah said uh, in her interview with The Telegraph, is that, you know, amazing, fans will be so excited, commercial, sponsors, you're not going to have any players. I talked about star players, there won't be any of them because they'll be broken. Yeah, the fact that there's no three-week compulsory window, it's such a basic thing to bring in. And this 2026 tournament, potential tournament will it can't go in the summer because that's when the men's world cup is so it'll have to go this spring autumn or winter and you wouldn't if it's going to be in europe you'd want it in the spring or in the autumn which again is gonna is gonna kibosh kibosh domestic league somewhere along the line as it's charlotte's right this sort of drive for more 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 we've we've got to protect the people that are at the heart of it which is which is the players 
Yeah, plenty more to, to discuss and, and think on that subject as and when we get more details. Thank you, Charlotte and Laura, for joining me today. Thanks, Abby. Thank you very much. Of course, if you want to keep across everything regarding Manchester United and the Ineos takeover, The Athletic is the best place you can be. Head to theathletic.com forward slash WSL pod if you're not already a subscriber. And there you'll find our latest offer. You can always send me an email over at fte at theathletic.com with your thoughts and questions. The good news, though, is that Sophie will be back next week. So until then, make sure you're the best in class. You've been listening to Full Time Europe, part of the Athletic Football Podcast Network. The producer was Abby Patterson. To discover and listen to other great athletic podcasts just like this one, including our brand new daily football briefing, search for The Athletic on Apple, Spotify and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. The Athletic.